2: Welcome to the show as we bring on a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, pretty much whatever's on your heart. We need only for you to call us 210 340 9585. That's 340 9585. If you're outside, the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at com or using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, just hit the call now, banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer, and we'll get you on the air. Lots going on here. This is going to be a good week for me. Uh, I get to teach this week. We we close chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians on Sunday. And um, I get to teach First uh, Corinthians twelve. At least we're going to go very slowly through First Corinthians twelve, where we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I'll have the opportunity about being uh, to talk about being baptized in the Spirit. Um, um, so really important study when you get to First Corinthians twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, uh, and then in fifteen as well, um, in particular. So uh, I'm excited. On Friday night, I get to do one of my favorite Bible studies and the book of Revelation, we're in our second um, study in the book of Revelation. This is the one where John sees Jesus, and we get to describe him and talk about him. It's a passage of scripture that I use when people are on their deathbed. I know they're believers. They're going to go be, be with Jesus. I, I always said, this is what you're going to see and at any moment now. And I also like to use it uh, in funerals. Now, that might sound a little bit morose, but... But it's really an exciting portion of Scripture. So that's all this week for me here. Uh, Ladies, for you, tonight our Sweet Summer Devotion series begins. Uh, Paula will be the first speaker. And then after her, we've got uh, about eight weeks or nine weeks of ladies who are going to come up and share their hearts, their stories. So it's always a good deal. I told Church yesterday, you know, Sweet Summer Devotions is a big deal around here. Lots of ladies come. Uh, child care of course, is available. You can also bring your husbands because we have our men's Bible study with Pastor Ken teaching at the same time, and then your high school and junior high school age youth because we have our uh, our youth soon-to-be pastors. We haven't ordained them yet, but we're about to. Uh, they will be teaching the kids so you can make it a family affair and uh, you, you'll have fun. Ladies, the Sweet Summer Devotions is really important. You can watch it live stream at calvaryessay.com. Uh, but it's much better to be here because we can't live stream the questions that come afterwards or the the, the, the responses to the teachings. There's just sort of, um, we want privacy so, so everybody feels protected and secure. So try to get here. It's at 7 o'clock every Monday night. And we'll keep mentioning it uh, as we move along. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. And then we'll go uh, while we wait for your phone calls. Here's a question from Bradley. He says, since people put on a face most of the time, why do people say that when someone dies, they're in a better place without knowing the dead person's private life? Um, Actually, Bradley, we we can do this uh, easily if somebody's a Christian. Uh, we, we don't expect Christians to be perfect. We we know that that people put on a facade. I like that that word better than put on on a face. But um, we know that you know somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Praise the Lord." You know, um, but but that's just Christianese. Um, we know if somebody's saved, they're in a better place. That's really important for us to understand. They are in a better place. And the things that cause him to put on a facade or the things that cause him to pretend will all be gone, will all be laid bare before the, the Lord of, of of heaven. And and um, our sin nature, the things that we're afraid of, all that's gone, and we'll be in the presence of Jesus. That's a better place. Now, I think it's important to say that if somebody dies apart from Christ, they're not in a better place at all. They're in a horrible place, and, um, and and they'd be much better off, even miserable, on earth, than they than than being dead in a place where torment is going to be eternal. So um, you're right. We don't know what's going on in people's private lives, um, but the best thing about Jesus's blood is that. He knows everything. And if we believe, I mean, if we really believe, then His blood has wiped out all of our sins. And we know where they are. We know who they're with. And that's a place of comfort and peace and rest, which is also very comforting to those who are survivors. So I hope that answers your question, Bradley. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question anonymously that was sent in. Um. why do you use crackers and grape juice for communion instead of bread and wine? Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the elements are. It's what they represent that matters. We use crackers. And by the way, we use gluten-free crackers here at Calvary Chapel just because we have so many people, men and women in our church, who have gluten issues. And we, we, we don't want to cause them any difficulty. So we use crackers rather than bread. Uh, it's... Uh, more hygienic, uh, it's easier to manage, uh, and it represents the same thing. So it doesn't matter. We use grape juice rather than wine simply because there are a lot of people that have problems with alcohol. We don't want to uh, cause them to stumble. So I think it's it's really important that we we don't focus on the symbols. Jesus broke bread unleavened bread. Um, crackers are similar. Um, we're not here to make a meal of it. We're here to remember the Lord's death. Uh, this question probably comes from our study yesterday, um, but, but I wanted to be, to go into great detail to, um, to teach that, that uh, um, the heart with which we partake of communion is far more important than the method of partaking communion. And um, the grape juice uh, is a symbol of Jesus' body, Uh, That's the heart of everybody who's partaking. And and wine is unnecessary. I think also culturally you have to understand, uh, while in the ancient world they couldn't go to the store and buy grape juice or or cranberry juice or whatever it is we use when we can find it, um, they used wine and wine was a staple because water was bad. And so they drank much less water than they should uh, and drank more wine. And, and of course, wine was a problem then that's... The reason for all of the, the exhortations not to be drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, so we just don't want to cause anybody to stumble. What we want to be able to do is bring everybody to the Lord's table after having examined their heart. And then because they're grateful for what he's done, at that point then and only then are we able to really enjoy that time of communion with with the Lord. So thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, here's another anonymous question. Uh, I want to know when it is okay to have dreams about an ex-girlfriend, clean dreams and dirty dreams. Um, anonymous, um, you can't control what you dream about. You know, it's it's okay. Now, when you wake up, you want to, do the appropriate thing with the dream, but um, um, we can't control what our subconscious does. I went to sleep Saturday night. I try to get to bed early. I'm getting up at four o'clock to go get ready for church and just make sure my heart's ready. And um, I had the worst dreams—not N- dirty dreams about anything, but but um, just terrible dreams. And I woke up half mad, half afraid. Um, you know, it, was just, it just was a night where I felt like I was getting punched all night. Uh, you can't control those things. Um, don't do guilt over dreams. Dreams um, are a result of our subconscious. Dreams are a result of, of uh, what we've been watching or listening to. Um, dreams uh, sometimes come because we eat the wrong thing too late at night. But we can't control that. That's just like thoughts. You can't control the thoughts that come into your mind. But what you can do then is control those thoughts so that you don't sin. Now, when you talk about clean and dirty dreams, I know what you're talking about. And you just remember when you're awake and alert that those are inappropriate things. What I used to do when I'd go to bed is say, Lord, protect my heart, my dreams, and my nightmares. Um, And and he knows, I don't want to to dream things that would cause me difficulty. Um, So I I just ask him to protect me. And um, then I have to take responsibility as an adult when I have those dreams. Lord, you know what I want to do with them. Um, And just do it that way. So just protect yourself. That's the best you can do. But you cannot um, control the things that your subconscious mind is thinking. Here's a question from Joe. How do you know God is talking to you? Joe, um, you can only know, with any certainty at all, you can only know that God is speaking to you if you know your Bible. Um, You know, God won't say anything that contradicts what he's already said. And hearing the voice of God, um, not audibly, but, but discerning the voice of God, is never an easy thing. The enemy can so often sound like God. Uh, he'll twist Scripture. He'll do. But but if I'm hearing something that is contrary to uh, the Word of God, I know it's not God. I know it's an enemy, or I know it's it's just me. First John chapter four verse one says, "Brothers, test the spirits, because not every spirit is from God." And the way we test the spirits is by by testing what was spoken or what we think was spoken against the word is it consistent with the word if if so then it's likely from the lord and you sort of file it away and pray about it and let the lord speak to your heart um but but the rest of the time if it contradicts the bible you can immediately disqualify it as bringing from the lord Uh, i've had people over the years joe tell me that that, uh, you know, God wants me to be happy. told me that. And he told me that it was okay for me to divorce. And and I've had him get mad at me when I say, that's not God. That's an enemy or that's your flesh. But that's certainly not God. Are you telling me I don't hear from God? No, I'm just telling you that in this particular instance, you didn't hear from God. God wouldn't say that to you. That would be a contradiction to his word. So the most important thing is being in your Bible, knowing it. Reading it, investing time in it. Um, I think sometimes with the with the language we Christian Jews. I think sometimes um, we convince ourselves that God is saying what we want Him to say. And uh, I think most of the time when God is speaking to us, uh, you'll know it's God. Um, you know, most of the time God will speak to us through His Word. Um, probably, when I say most of the time, 98% of the time. But remember, we are in a relationship with the Lord. And the a relationship He wants to speak to us. He wants us to speak to Him. And there are some times uh, in my life, and I, I I haven't updated my number here, but there's probably 20, 25 times... When God has spoken so clearly to my heart that I know it's him beyond any doubt. Uh, When my calling as a pastor, um, our calling to come to San Antonio, uh, here at the church, our calling to start a free school. Um, And and there's been a whole bunch of those things, steps of faith that we've taken. Um, The Lord just meets me and confirms those things. I spend the time to get to know him. I know his word. I want to. I want to take the time in the day to 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 just listen to him all day, every day. I want to be available to him, and it's in those times when the Lord's spoken in my heart, and we just know it. Now, some of those times, I'll go to Paula, and I'll say, Paula, this is what I think the Lord is speaking to my heart. Would you also pray about this? And she'll pray about it, and and she will either confirm or she'll tell me what. I really don't have anything yet. Um, but but the nice thing about that is that when we take that step of faith, Paul and I can do it in complete unity. So those are the important things. Um, there have just been some times when I just knew it was God. There have been many, many more times, Joe, many more times, where I thought I heard something, but I wasn't sure whether it was the Lord, whether it was me, or whether it was an enemy. And those are the things that I just sort of file away and don't act on until I'm sure. I know this, that God has never failed me once. When I truly needed to know something, He let me know. There's a lot of times I think I need to know something, but evidently I don't. But every single time that I've truly needed to know something, He's been there. And... One final thought on this, Joe, is that if you spend a lot of time talking to the Lord, it's going to be easier to recognize His voice. Thank you for the question. Keep asking the Lord. Uh, Here is a question from Sam. I've heard drinking alcohol is a sin, and I've heard that it's not a sin, so which is it? Um, Drinking alcohol is not a sin. Um, If God is convicting your heart... Romans fourteen twenty three says, anything not of faith is sin. Um, so if God has been saying, you know, you need to back off, I don't want you drinking, uh, while it might be okay for others to drink in moderation, then it's not for you. And if you violate that, then that is a sin. It's a personal sin, you and the Lord. Um, but drinking moderately is not a sin. Being drunk always is, 100% of the time, a sin. So, the, the question is, yes, drinking sometimes is a sin, sometimes it's not a sin, but that's where you need to seek the Lord. Now, let me also add, Sam, that, that Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. What I would ask you to do, as a Christian, I would ask you to be able to answer this question. Does drinking alcohol... Enhance your walk with Jesus, or does it diminish your ability to walk with Jesus? Does it compromise your witness at times? I know men that drink at home say, Well, I just drink at home because I don't want anybody to drink it, but your family knows. I'd say that pretty much compromises your witness at home. So I think we've got to remember this is really important. We've got to remember that people are always watching us. And I've just asked my pastors and my elders, and I've made it really, really clear that that as leaders in this church, I'm asking you, if you drank before, I'm asking you not to drink as a leader in this church simply because we don't want to cause anybody to stumble. We want to live our lives above reproach in such a way that we're able then to be able to say to somebody, look, I know it's a struggle. I like to drink occasionally, but I can't do it because my my ministry uh, keeps me from doing it. So... um, pastors here at Calvary Chapel don't drink, but I can't make that same request of all of the people in the church. Because that would be going beyond what the Bible actually says. One of the things I can share with you is that if you were a pastor and you saw the complete and utter devastation in people's lives, the families that were broken apart, the lives that were We're just uh, uh, thrown away like trash because of alcohol. Um, You would wish, as I do, that the Bible said on every page, drinking is a sin, don't do it. But it isn't, so we can't go beyond that. It's just one of those, is it good for you? Does it make your walk with Jesus better? and the man or the woman that would say to that question well well no it doesn't make my walk better but you know there's sometimes i just need to chill out paul also says he will not be mastered by anything and believe me you're in bondage to alcohol if you need to drink to rest if you need to drink to chill out to quiet your mind if that's the case then you've got an issue of being in slavery to the alcohol thank you for the question here is another question. This also is anonymous. Why can God and Jesus be angry, but the rest of us can't? Um, uh, There's two ways to answer this. Let me say, first of all, that we can be angry. We just can't sin in our anger. The Father, when he's angry, Jesus, when he's angry, they never sin. And we're supposed to follow their example. The problem is, is that when we get angry, we have a tendency to sin. We say things that we shouldn't say. We raise uh, the, the level of our volume in our voices. Um, we want to let everybody and every, everybody know that we're angry and why we're angry. We want people to take our side. Um, but, but you see, when God is angry, when Jesus is angry, it's righteous anger. If you can be righteously angry, then you won't sin. When you find yourself sinning in your anger, then righteousness has just left the place. And that's when we sin. So nobody ever said you can't be angry. But in your anger, Paul says, do not sin. So that's what we've got to remember, that that, uh, when Jesus is angry, uh, and he's angry at sin. He's angry at people who rebel against him. He's angry at a world that has just sort of locked him out. He was angry. When he looked out in tears over Jerusalem and said, if you knew, Jerusalem, if you knew that I'd come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, I, I've come to protect you. I've come for your good. He was angry. His heart broken, but he was angry but in his anger he never sinned so if you can control your anger and not sin then your anger by all appearances is really righteous anger and uh that's okay hope that makes sense to you here's a question by beth she says if it's been proven that jesus wasn't born in december why do we still celebrate christmas in that month well two things it's not been proven that Jesus wasn't born in December. Uh I personally think that Jesus was born um in winter. Uh the people say no, Jesus wasn't born in the winter because uh he wouldn't be out, the shepherds wouldn't be out in the field with flocks. Remember, in the Christmas narrative, those are temple shepherds. And and there would be year round flocks that, that that were being kept for sacrifices. So there were always shepherds, and in all likelihood, um, if you look at the most reliable timelines, we think Jesus probably was born in and around late winter, which is going to be a December uh, time frame, December according to our month. Uh, So we don't know that he hasn't been born in December. Now, the reason we celebrate it is because December the 25th has always been the day that the pagan world and the ancient world celebrated Saturnalia. And what Christians did is just take that that day that everybody celebrated and turned it into a celebration of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. so that's that's what they're doing. it's It's not that we're we're celebrating paganism. Uh, Christmas is a day every year, uh, actually for in our world, it's a whole season um, where every year, Um, the whole world is thinking about Jesus Christ. Whether they want to admit it or not, they're thinking about Jesus because everybody knows it's Christmas vacation, it's Christmas break, it's a Christmas office party. Now, I know they realize, I realize they do ungodly things at those places, but nonetheless, they're all accountable because the witness is overwhelming. And remember, God is going to receive Confirmation from every knee and every tongue. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord, that He is the Truth, and uh, December Christmas celebration is just part of that. So, it's it's nowhere been proven that Jesus was born. We we don't know for sure that 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 He had a birthday. Remember, they were using a Jewish calendar, three hundred sixty day year calendar, and uh, so we don't know. When Jesus was born. But it's likely he was born in the winter time, And I think sometimes um, we're just looking to parse words, argue, debate. Uh, we so celebrate Christmas when the world celebrates Christmas so that our witness goes into all the world. Just like the gospel goes into all the world, everybody who says Merry Christmas to someone is accountable. To know the Christ of Christmas. Funny question to get in July or in June, huh? We've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show, 340 9585, or toll free 877 630 KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Remember, ladies, our Sweet Summer Devotions series starts tonight And we're excited about it. May the Lord uh, kind of pick you up and bring you, and I know you'll be blessed. Here's a question from our email inbox from Olive. We just received it, and it's cute. The question's good, but the the email's cute. Hello, Pastor. My name is Olive. And then in parentheses, she writes, it's really not. But just in case you put my name on the radio, and then on the bottom, she signs off. Not Olive. Uh, My name is Olive, and one of my acquaintances goes to church there with you in Texas, I am in California. I posed two questions to my friend, which she answered well, but she thought you might be able to answer on the radio and that hopefully I could tune in. This is very interesting to me. Questions about life and the spiritual and how they were very settled for me when I was younger, but now they are unsettled. Let me that's not even a question, but let me address this first, not olive. Um Jesus said that, that Unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You've got to believe. It's amazing to me how kids can grasp the truth. And then as we send them through life in the school systems or with parents that are unsaved, we sort of, I'm going to use a bad word here, but we we unteach them. A poor trace of words, not a bad word, but but we unteach them. You know, we we are the ones, the adults in this life, we're the ones who unsettle all those questions. Paula, she always used to say to me, and and if you don't know Paula, she's my wife, she always used to say, you know, when I went to vacation Bible school, when I was a little girl, and and hers was not a church-going family. But she said, we go to vacation Bible school in the summertime. And and they said, Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible told me so. And she said that never left her heart. She believed it. Now, we got involved in sin and there was other things going on. But but when her life started to fall apart, there was the witness of the Holy Spirit reminding her of what she knew as a child. And I love the fact that Paula just believes. You know, now she does Bible studies and, and teaches and all that. But, 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 you know, they're not why she believes. She just believed. That's a gift that God gives. And so let me begin by asking you to revisit the things that you were settled about. And be honest in answering the questions Asking yourself and answering honestly about why you've become unsettled. What was it that caused you to be unsettled? And and it's always going to go back to sin. We want to do things that we know God doesn't want us to do, so we rationalize doing them in our own mind, and so we start making compromises. And once we start making compromises, then we're in a, a position where um, the enemy is there. Our flesh takes over. We find ourselves very far from the Lord, and your word uh, of being unsettled is appropriate. It's an unsettled life. And, and that's the answer to your first question, what is the purpose of life? The purpose of our life, life is to worship God. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have a career. It doesn't mean you won't have a family. It doesn't mean that you won't um, have dreams and goals, because we will. But if you're not a worshiper of God, then you're never going to find out what God's plan for you was, and you're going to pursue your own plans, the best you can do. And, and as I always say, the best we can do just isn't very good. So the purpose of life, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 in the King James, is to worship him. Our lives were created for him, and we're to live our lives, and here's the literal word, toward him. And as we're living a life toward Him, then that purpose is fulfilled and life becomes rich and meaningful. Not all of the purpose of life is not to be happy. It's not to have fun. It's not to avoid difficulties. The purpose of life is to be reunited with the One who created you, the One who loves you with such an infinite love. That he died for you. He took your your place on the cross, the punishment you deserve, and he did it just so that you could spend forever with him. That's the purpose of life. Now, in finding my purpose of life to worship Jesus, I also found direction in life. Uh, I got saved, and six months later, the Lord spoke to my heart. I knew I was going to be a pastor. And i got to tell you, I've been a pastor here for 26 years, and for 26 years, I've never once asked this question, what's the purpose of life? And I didn't ask it because I'm living it. And that's what so breaks my heart with people. They they, they won't take a step of faith, they won't trust God that His purpose is going to be richer and fuller and more satisfying than anything that they can think about. And yet, I've never asked this question as a believer. been saved for 30 years, a pastor for 26. I've never asked this question, what is the purpose of life? Because I've had the privilege of living it. And if you are walking with Jesus, then every day you're fulfilling that purpose. And it's like a shoe that fits perfectly. I think of Cinderella's slipper. Other people can try to put their foot in that slipper, but it only fits for her. Well, well the purpose of your life that God has established only fits you. And when you're walking in it through good times or difficult times, through joyful times or heartbreaking times, your your foot always fits perfectly in that slipper. And that's because Jesus is the one who's directing your steps. So make no mistake, that is the purpose of life. Her next question is this one. Why do we pray for each other? What happens spiritually when we pray for one another, or when we pray, and how does it work? Um, prayer is kind of a a mystery. Um, not all of he's he's um, we we know God responds to prayer. Prayer is conversation. Uh, when I talk with the Lord. It's prayer. It, it it sounds when I do it. It's more conversational. I mean, I'm not on my face crying out, and I'm not sweating great drops of blood. But but I'm talking to Jesus all day long. So that's what prayer is. And the reason the first question, why do we pray for each other, is because we're told to pray for people. We're bearing one another's burdens. And so when um, somebody is ill, we we have a, a bunch of people who I love deeply. A bunch of people who are 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 really fighting serious illnesses. And so I pray for them every day. I pray for them continually throughout the day. And I'm 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 constantly lifting them before the throne of grace. I'm asking for grace. I'm asking for mercy, I'm asking for healing, but I'm also asking for the ability to endure. And when they endure, Jesus is there with them. Paul talks about sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. And he says it's been granted to us as a gift to do so. Now, we don't think of suffering as a gift, but Jesus is the only one who understands us. So we pray for one another because we're supposed to love people. Now, what happens spiritually when we pray for one another? Wonderful things happen. I'll just give you an example from my own life. There was a, before I got saved, there was a man who stole my future. Um, he took advantage of me. Uh, it's my fault. I was so full of pride and my ego was so big, I, I, I didn't think that I, I had to watch out. But, but he stole my future. At least that's what I thought. And I hated him. And then I got saved and the Lord said, no, 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 you can't hate anybody. You've got to forgive him. And I said, I can't forgive this guy. And the Lord spoke to my heart again. He said, well, how about you start praying for him? Now, i got to tell you, not all of, I had to pray for him through clenched teeth. But I realized that as I began praying for him, God began to soften my heart toward him. And I'll never forget, there was a day when I actually was praying and I was so aware of the fact that I really wanted this man in heaven. I really wanted him in heaven. So that's what happens when we pray for one another. When a husband prays for a wife or a wife prays for a a husband, God is uniting their hearts together supernaturally. And he's uniting their hearts in the will of God. When parents pray for their children, then we're doing what we're responsible to do. According to the Word, we're we're, we're covering our children with our prayers. Job offered sacrifices for his grown kids. And I'm sure they were good kids, but he said, just in case they messed up, I want to be sure they're covered. So... We're we're just taking them before the throne of God. When people come to me, uh, yesterday I'll bet I had ten, twelve people come to me between services yesterday and and said, "Pastor, will you pray for me." Um, I don't I don't know whether my prayers are going to be answered the way I would like to see them answered, but I do know that as I'm praying for them, I'm fulfilling my responsibility, and I'm expressing my love for them. So that's how prayer works. Now, people say, well, God knows everything anyway, so why do we pray? We pray because Jesus prayed. He ever lives, Hebrews says, to make intercession for us. And because he makes intercession for us, he's setting an example that we should follow, so we should constantly be praying for one another. I'll tell you something else that happens when you pray for other people. It takes your focus off you. And I find that most people, when their focus is on them, they're pretty miserable. When they start praying for people, their focus gets on Jesus and serving others. Well, then their countenance changes. Everything gets better. So those are the things that happen when we pray. And for some reason that we can't understand, our prayers sometimes move the heart of God. We have repeated examples of God saying, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I'll give you just one example. Moses praying and God relenting. It doesn't mean he changed his mind. It just means that he put it in the heart of Moses to pray. And when Moses got to the place where God wanted to be, then God was able to answer the prayers. Delight yourself in the Lord, David writes, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So as you delight yourself in Jesus, he will place his desires in your heart. And that's when prayers really get answered. It's absolutely wonderful. When God starts answering your prayers, you turn into a prayer warrior. So remember, the purpose of prayer isn't to get your will done. The purpose of prayer is to get your will to line up with God's will, which is always going to be done. So not all of thank you very much. I love those questions, and I love the fact that you're you're asking them. Here's the one thing I would leave you with: is remember the things that were once settled. Don't be confused by the confusion all around us in this world. Don't let sin cause your heart to harden, so you question things that you once knew were true. Just remember. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Great question. Thank you very, very much. Not all of... I love your sense of humor, too. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from... No name on this one. Pastor Ron, why do Christians get offended or hurt when someone says they're not a Christian? Um... I don't think we get offended. Um, um, I, I My heart hurts every time someone says they're not a Christian. Um, but I don't get offended. I'm not angry. I realize that people have been given free will by God. I certainly can't take free will away. Um, so I'm hurt. I'm hurt for them. I'm not hurt Uh, Because of something they did, and certainly the fact that they're unbelievers, that's the reality of life, and it gives me an opportunity to share Jesus with people, so I'm not offended at all. But the truth is, if you're a real Christian, then you need to want everybody to be saved. And sometimes when you have an attitude like this, that you think, well, well, I'm not going to be like those other Christians, so I'm not going to share my faith, um... Sharing our faith is what we are accountable to God to do every day. Every day. So when someone tells you they're not a Christian, pray for them. Someone says, well, I don't want to hear about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus anyway. That's what's really, really important. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, This question comes from Ben. What is the difference between having a conversation about God and having a debate about God when both involve questions? I think the difference between the two is in one, you're asking questions. In a conversation, you're asking questions. I think if you're um, in a debate, you're questioning God. Now, as I've said on this program many times, I'm not a debater. I'm not interested in in winning arguments. I'm interested in winning people's souls. So I, I think the difference here is uh, I love to talk to people about God all the time. I, I I'm and that's who I am. It's what I do. It's it's what I want to talk about. Um, but if someone wants to argue with me, we have somebody who calls the radio station from time to time challenging me. He won't put my viewpoints on the air. I'm not interested in arguing. And I think sometimes we we think, well, well, healthy debate is good. It's not. gets our focus off Jesus and our focus then is on us. And our flesh is going to get involved. So between you and God, if you want to ask questions of the Lord it's perfectly okay to ask God questions big shoulders he has all the answers but if you start questioning God that's an act of sort of anti-faith and God's you're just going to be shut out from being able to get answers so if you want if you got honest questions you can take them to the Lord he has the answers but you can never question God please remember that if you question God well it didn't work out so well for Job hope that helps A debate is a formal discussion on a particular topic in a public meeting or legislative assembly in which opposing arguments are put forward. In which opposing arguments are put forward. That's the dictionary definition of a debate. The man or woman who wants to argue, well, that man or woman is in the flesh. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Joe. She says, it's a female spelling. How does one find their purpose in life? I talked about that sin, not olives question a moment ago. Uh, your purpose in life is, is to worship God. When you're worshiping God, he's going to take you to that place where you find your purpose. Like a slipper that fits, you're going to find it and you're not going to have to strive to get it or to, to, to understand it. You're just going to know. And it's wonderful. For some, God wants to take us and, and give us a ministry calling. He wants to give us spiritual gifts. It gives me a chance to remind you again that I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts this coming Sunday for the next several weeks in First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Um, but He's going to give you spiritual gifts that will help you accomplish that call. But, but the, the most beautiful thing in life, Joe, The most beautiful thing in life is to get up every day and absolutely know that you're in God's perfect pleasing and acceptable will. You'll know. Romans 12, 1 and 2 gives you a formula for knowing. Offer your bodies to God as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will know not possibly, then you will know the perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God. And that's our purpose. I think too many of us are looking for secular purpose. And as Christians, there is no secular purpose. Now, God will use you in secular places. And maybe your calling is to be a witness to Him in these secular places. But, um... You know, this isn't, being a Christian is not like going to college and having a major and then going out and trying to find a job. It's a walk of faith. Abraham learned his purpose in life by walking with Jesus every day. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, once he thought he had his purpose, I'm going to persecute and kill Christians, then Jesus met him and he had a new purpose in life to go tell everybody about Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike. That was his purpose in life. For some of you, some of you, your purpose might be um, that of a father or a mother. Your purpose could be just being an exceptional employee at the place you work and raising godly kids. Your purpose in life, for those of you who are a lot smarter than this pastor is, your purpose in life might be to find a cure for cancer. But you're only going to find that purpose by following Jesus. So that's the the purpose in our life is every day. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. I call them by name and they follow me. And that's our purpose. I think too often we over mystify this whole idea of God's will, and we think God's going to send us a sign in the sky or something, uh, and we get impatient. It said, just serve God every day. Do all things as unto the Lord, and do it every day, and then one of these days, you're going to run into that purpose. You're going to know for certain, you're going to know beyond any doubt, that you're in the perfect will of God. And because I've been doing this now for 26 years, Um, since I started this church um, I've really had the peace and the joy of knowing every day that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do what I was born to do Paul reminds me of that all the time this is what you were born to do and believe me there is nothing like knowing that in this world we had a pastor's discipleship class we don't have anybody on hold on the phone so I could take a few minutes in these last couple of minutes of the program. We had Pastor's the Discipleship class on Saturday, and I was telling the, the, the men and the women there that um, nothing breaks my heart as much as seeing Christians. I'm not talking about unbelievers. That's a whole different subject. But seeing Christians who are unwilling to embrace the Lord and his will for their lives with all of their being. They're, they're so willing to settle for less than God's best. And i got to tell you, that breaks my heart so much. They keep Jesus. They're going to heaven. I'm talking about real Christians. But they keep Jesus sort of at an arm's length because they're afraid of getting him in too close. They're going to have to give up some secret things. It's easier for them to hold on to, to little sins in their life. And they're missing out on the fullness that God has for them. It breaks my heart when I see Christians with marriages that don't honor the Lord. In The marriage conference that Paul and I just did, I told the people in Oklahoma, they may still be a little upset with me for saying it, but I told them that if you do not have an intimate, passionate relationship with your spouse, you do not have an intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus. We can't have a life finding our purpose if we're not fulfilling our purposes as husband or wife or father or mother or as an employee or student so you want to find your purpose in life all you got to do is walk with Jesus just be with Jesus I say it so much I'm afraid people are going to stop listening to it but that's our purpose in life and then everything else that happens is for his glory Thank you for the question. I think I a minute left. Two minutes. Two minutes. Okay. Here's a quick one I can do. This is from Ralphie. What is your opinion on films and TV shows based on the Bible? Um, my opinion doesn't really matter, but but I'm 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 too much of a critic because I know the Bible too well, and I don't like the the inaccuracies. Uh, so I'm not a big big fan. Now I enjoy good entertainment. Um, I understand artistic license, but um, most of them are wrong. I, one of my favorite movies is The Ten Commandments, every Christian's favorite movie. That, that movie's on the list. Um, but I'm, I find myself critiquing, poor Paula, she's a her and just wants me to shut up and watch the, watch the movie. Um, but, um, you know, I, I want them to be what they say they are. If, if they say they're, they're biblically based, I want them to be accurate about the Bible. If they're just feel good movies or, or T V shows, uh, Touched by an Angel. That was just a feel good TV movie, T V show. And I watched it. There wasn't a whole lot you can watch it on TV these days, so I, I watched it and I enjoyed it. Now I didn't expect that it was going to be it was it was written from a more of a Catholic perspective. So I didn't expect that it was gonna be accurate. So I just I don't often go to movies at all. There certainly aren't many movies about Christ. Um, but but it's okay. I guess that's my opinion. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. Remember again, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Summer Devotions begins at 7 o'clock. Also, the men's studies and the youth studies. You can make it a family affair. Uh, I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 of The Word. May God bless you and keep you. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.